Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. This message is from August 27th, 2023, as we continue our series called Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's message is taught by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 7, verse 36, through chapter 8, verse 3. Here's Thomas. It is great to be with you. I hope you had a, a great week. I had a great week. It was a hard week, but there were some good things along the way. Uh, one of those things I want to share with you this morning. I got to catch up with my good buddy Tanner. I played high school baseball with him. Uh, we went out to lunch, went over to uh, Pita Cafe. I got a pita bowl, which is good. It's hummus and pita. It makes sense for me. I'm kind of fit, kind of fat. Uh, so I want to be healthy, but not too healthy, you know? Uh, so we're getting lunch together and we go to pay. And there's that awkward interaction, which we've all faced at some point in life, where you got two friends and a cashier, both with their credit cards out. Who's going to pay? You've faced this situation before, right? Who is going to pay the bill? Who is going to pay the tab? And he says, no, man, I invited you. Like, I'd love to pay for your lunch. I'm like, dude, I got a job. I can pay for my own food. You don't got to pay for me. And he's, you know, I, I'd love to. I'd love to pay for you. The cashier's like, I don't care, you guys. Someone just pay for the food. Someone has to pay for the food. And I'm not totally against taking a blessing. So I said, yeah, you know what? Buy my food. That's totally fine. And it was all paid for. It was wonderful. And maybe you've had that experience. Or maybe you've had this other experience. Maybe you're out on a date, like it's your wife or your girlfriend, and you're out with another couple. And, and it's like Valentine's Day, so you're going to live it up a little, right? You're going to go to a fancy place where you actually plan on getting an appetizer and maybe a soup and a salad. And you're going to do like a two and a half hour long event marathon kind of meal, right? Uh, and that billfold comes down on the table and the person you're with just snatches it right from the center. And you're like, whoa, 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 what, what, are, you, what are you doing? What are you, and and, and I, I'd be, be my honor, it'd be my privilege. And you're like, no, this is a lot. Like, I didn't, I don't want you to pay for that. Like, that's a lot, but that's a pretty nice time to get free food too when it's really, really <laughs> expensive like that. Or maybe this is your move. I know some of you are out there. Before you even get to the table, you find your hostess and you say, I don't care what this guy or this gal does or says to you. You put everything on this credit card. How many of you are that guy? Or how many of you fell victim to that guy? You can't even be generous to him. Uh, or maybe you uh, are a dine and dasher, which that's just terrible. We shouldn't laugh about that at all. Uh, here's my favorite way. My favorite way to get free food. Uh, and this happened much more often when my wife and I were first married. We're 21 years old, so basically children. I'm working three jobs and she's student teaching. We have like 14 nickels to rub together, living in the guest house. Like it was awesome. Everything was great. We go out to dinner and because we're children, what do we order off of the kid's menu? Because that's the kind of money we got. Not just two meals, like we're gonna get one order of chicken fingers, date night to Red Robin, let's go. Uh, and someone from the church would see us and they'd be like, look at those kids. They're splitting a kid's meal. Life must be so hard. And they pay for our food, which is great. And that happened, I'm not against this, by the way. I'd love a blessing. You ever see us out and about at a place we don't belong and you want to pay, like, <laughs> by all means, go ahead and do it. And, and sometimes that does happen. You'll hear stories about this, right? We're out at date night and it's a Friday and it's a birthday or an anniversary or or whatever, and you're living it up. Like you're ordering all the things and you're having a great time and, and the bill comes and, and then you expect it to come and it doesn't come and you hear, you know, someone um, just saw you and, and just decided to pay for your food. And you can't help but like in your heart, try to order more food for those people to pay for, <laughs> right? But you're just left with this attitude of gratitude and thankfulness and like, man, I was 
supposed to pay for that, but someone stepped up and paid it for me. Uh, I, I racked up this tab, and instead of me having to pay it, uh, someone else stepped forward and, and paid it. And maybe you're starting to get a feel of where we're going for this. And the, when Jesus was on the cross, one of his last few words, Jesus said, it is finished, period. It is finished. Other translations, it's actually an accounting term. Um, literally, you could say it means paid in full. Paid in full. The thing that we're supposed to pay, the, the sin debt that we're supposed to owe, Jesus took the cross and said, paid in full, so you and I wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. That's what we're going to see in our text this morning. We're in Luke chapter 7, and here's what we're going to see. Big forgiveness ought to lead to big love. When we realize who Christ is and what he's done for us, he's forgiven of us of the many, much amount of sin in our life, the response ought to be love. That's where we're going to go in our time in Luke 7 this morning. Let me pray for us one more time. Um, just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and encourage us this morning right where we're at. So would you join me? Father, we're grateful uh, to be in your house this morning. God, we know we come in here uh, imperfectly. God, that we come before you with sin in our life and, and we come before you with gratitude, knowing that it's been paid for in full. God, would our response not be to try to pay you back in some way to do the right thing and say the right thing and, and earn our righteousness back from you, God. Instead, would we just respond in worship and love? God, whatever people are bringing into this room this morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak directly into those situations, that you would encourage their hearts. God, that as a result of everything said and done in this place, that you would be glorified, honored, and praised. God, we love you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 7, I'd invite you to turn there with me if you're new to the Bible and you're um, not sure where that is. There should be a pew Bible somewhere in a seat back in front of you. I'd invite you to grab that and turn to page 1026. Page 1026 in a pew Bible in front of you. I'd invite you to follow along. We're going to start in verse 36. Here's what it says. One of the Pharisees, we're going to find out later on, this dude's name is Simon. One of the Pharisees named Simon asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. All right, let's stop for one second and talk about what type of dinner this is. Maybe you've hosted a dinner party before, um, sent out some RSVPs, and you know exactly who is showing up to this dinner party. That's the way dinner parties work for us, right? We know who's going to be there, and the doors are closed, and this is, it is what it is, whoever's at our table. Not so back in the day in these dinner parties. Think of these dinner parties back in the day, especially when there was a distinguished guest of honor, in this case, Jesus. It functioned more as an open house. And at an open house, you have an idea of who's going to come, but quite frankly, like some of you just hosted a bunch of graduation parties last year, you're like, I mean, we're expecting this, but we'll see. We really don't know who is walking into the door. And that's really the heart in which they approached these kind of meals back in the day. So they're sitting enjoying a meal and the door's open. Maybe they're out on the patio. And the expectation is that people would come in and surround the dinner party just to listen in. If there's a guest of honor, we're going to see who this guy is and what he's all about and maybe eavesdrop on the conversations that are happening around this guest. So that is the scene that we see in Luke 7 this morning. But there's one guest who comes in that no one is really anticipating to come take a seat 
at the table, and it's this woman. It says she's a woman of the city, a sinner. A woman of the city who is a sinner. Now, people speculate it's a very public, open sin, the type of sin that everyone in the city would know about. Um, So many speculate that she was actually a prostitute. That's why people knew who she was, because she sinned very openly and publicly in this way. You can maybe say it's like the town drunk if you grow up in a small town. Everyone knows who it is. They sin in a very, very public way. Now, why would this woman, who's a known sinner to herself and a known sinner to the community, come to this large public event? It's probably because she's heard something about Jesus. We've heard this phrase in Luke throughout the whole thing, that the news of Jesus spread from town to town, that the the good news of the kingdom of God kept going forth from this place to that place and then to the next place. Perhaps this is how she has heard of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. If we were to rewind together to Luke chapter five, you might remember the story where Jesus is teaching in a house. And as he's teaching, the roof tiles begin to open up and set before him is a man on a bed with some ropes and he's a paralyzed man and his friends drop him down before him. And it says, seeing this man's faith, Jesus utters just a few words. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. So what's this woman heard? She's heard there's this man named Jesus performing miracles, teaching with authority and forgiving people of their sins. This woman knows who she is, a sinner, and knows who Jesus is, a forgiver of sins. Where else would she go except to the feet of Jesus? That's where the story turns next. Verse 38, and standing behind Jesus at the table, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, a lot of things going on here that you and I don't really have a precedent for, nor do we have a precedent for this kind of activity in this culture. But what we do see is that Jesus approves of it. You could fast forward in the Gospels and see shortly before Jesus's crucifixion, there's a woman named Mary from a town called Bethany who comes in and anoints Jesus's feet with oil, preparing him for burial. And instead of the heart that that, that his followers had, because even some of his followers were like, we could have sold this expensive perfume and we could have fed the poor. We could have done good things with this. And Jesus tells them, knock it off. She's done a beautiful thing for me. So while we might not totally understand why someone would do this type of activity, what we do see is that Jesus receives it as an extravagant act of love. Now us, in our heart, if this happened at our dinner party, we'd probably look at it and be like, hey, could you knock that off? We're trying to eat dinner, and that's kind of gross. Can you leave Jesus alone? And that's actually the heart of this man named Simon. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, Simon, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now he's got some uh, assumptions about Jesus that has forced him to some conclusions that are just totally wrong. And this is something that we do in our own life, right? We have all sorts of assumptions about who God is based on the preferences we would like him to be. So we put him in a box and say, God, this is how you act. You act the way that I think you will act. Here's kind of the first thing we're going to see in our text this morning. And it's really a sub point of the main point is that God is bigger than our preferences. God is bigger than our preferences. See, this is what Simon does. He says, God, 
Jesus, if you are who you said you are, you would respond like this. You would respond in, in this. And you know, the Bible says we've been created in God's image, but we work really hard trying to recreate Jesus in our own. We've got the whole thing backwards. We think we know what's right. We think we know what's best, the way you should feel and act towards someone. And we say, because we feel that way, certainly God feels that way too. And we do this with all sorts of things. We make all sorts of assumptions based on the preferences we have or the pre-understandings we have about who God is. Maybe this is one of them. Here's a pre-understanding, a preference, an assumption that people make about God. God is out to get you. He's out to get you. He's this grandpa judge, Zeus lightning, gavel kind of figure up in space who's out to get you. John chapter three shows a tenderhearted side of who God is. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then it says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but the world already stands condemned. God is out to get you. No, he sent his son to get you into heaven so we could live with him forever. That's who God is. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us. I don't know what pre-understandings or what preferences and assumptions you have going on in your own life, but let me encourage you, allow God to be bigger than your box. I'm not encouraging you to take your brain out and not think and not study. In fact, God even tells us we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. But all of those theological understandings and frameworks that you and I hold as convictions in our life must be based upon what God has said and what God has done. Not our own preferences, not our own pre-understandings. Jesus is who Jesus says he is, and that's it, amen? So Jesus is going to correct it. He says, no, Simon, I'm bigger than this. I'm bigger than you. So this is what he says. Verse 40, and Jesus answered Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you, which that would have been a neat scene to behold, right? Simon, we need to talk. We say this as parents to our kids. Students, maybe your parents have said this to you. And it's typically a red flag for, uh uh-oh, something happened that was wrong, right? Drew, I need to talk to you, right? And Edwina would probably say that, not Brian, because he's like, he's too fun-loving and everything else. But son, we need to talk. You typically know, uh-oh, I did something bad. And that's what happens here. Simon, I need to talk to you. I have something to say to you. And Simon answers, he says, say it, teacher. Jesus jumps into a, a parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. You could say it's two years wages versus two months wages. One owns two, owes two years of his salary. The other owes two months of his salary. Here's the big idea in this. Both can't pay. Okay, one owns a lot and one's own a little, but neither of them are capable of paying back this debt, this bill. Neither of them can pay their tab. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. This was not a normal practice then. It's not a normal practice now. Right? It'd be awesome to get a phone call from the bank and say, hey, you know, all that money you owe, don't worry about it. Well, that doesn't happen now, and that definitely didn't happen then. It's just not a common practice. But Jesus says, as ridiculous as this sounds, let's follow it. The lender shows up and says, you know what? We'll cancel the debt of both. Now, which would love him more? 
Simon answers. He says, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. Now here's the second thing we're going to see in this text. Again, it's kind of a sub-theme from the main theme we'll get to in a moment. And it's this, sin is sin. Sin is sin. One sinner is not worse than another. One guy owns a lot, owes a lot. One guy owes a little. The big picture, both owe money and both can't pay. Now this is true of us, but however, we like to see this kind of, you know, there's big sinners and there's little sinners, right? There's overt public sins like this woman, this woman of the city who was a sinner. Everyone knows her sin. But then there's like the private respectable sins that no one knows about, right? It's the stuff we don't let people see. It's the stuff that happens privately in our thoughts. We just know better than to tell people how we actually feel about them. We keep that to ourselves. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, uh, you've heard it said if you, you, can, you can commit murder, but I say unto you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. You have heard it said that do not commit adultery. Jesus says, but I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. We like to play this game of, you know, there's people who sin this way, everyone knows about it. That's way worse. That person is way worse than me. I sin privately. Now we can look at the Bible and see that there's kind of some type of hierarchy of sin that exists. You can look at 1 Corinthians 6, the apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. He says, uh, he says this, every sin someone commits is outside their body, except for the sin of sexual immorality, which one commits against his own body. So while we can say there's certainly uh, different consequences from sinning different ways, I can think something hateful about a brother or I can kill that brother. Both are sinful. There's different consequences for each one, right? But here's what he's saying. Sin is sin regardless of what that kind of sin is. One sinner is not worse than the other. Both of them cannot pay. That's where we're at this morning, friends. You might think you're a little sinner. There's no such thing. We're all big sinners in need of forgiveness. Jesus asked, which one would love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Not just do you see this woman. Of course he sees the woman because he's already made a big stink about who's this woman and what she's doing. If Jesus knew who this woman was and what she's done, he wouldn't allow her at his feet. Of course he sees her, but Jesus is asking, do you see her as I see her? Do you really understand what's happened here? You really don't get it, Simon, do you? You don't understand why this woman is responding this way. Here's the main thing, the big point of this whole time that we're looking at together, and it's this. God's forgiveness should lead us to love. God's forgiveness should lead us to love. That's what happened here with this woman. This woman knows she's a sinner. Everyone else knows this woman's a sinner, and this woman knows there's a man named Jesus who forgives people of their sins. So we're going to fall at his feet and respond and worship. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. Now Jesus is going to get on Simon for being a bad host, a real bad host. He says, Simon, you think you're a good Pharisee. You're not even a good Pharisee. Now you're just a bad host. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, 
no water for my feet. Now, if you come into my house, I'll ask you if you want something to drink. That's what we would do, right? Could I get you a glass of water, lemonade, sparkling water, anything you want? I got it. What do you want? Now, this is different. No water for my feet. Why would Jesus need water for his feet? Again, it was a cultural ceremonial practice. It was a cleanliness practice. Keep in mind, these people are basically walking around in Birkenstocks and sandals back in the day on unpaved, dirty, gross roads. When they sit to eat, they're not sitting at a, like a, a normal height table. It would almost be like a raised platform, very low to the ground. So you were very likely leaning over to your side while your friend's feet were right next to you. And that's disgusting. So ceremonially, the host would provide someone to wash feet. It was the right thing to do. He says, Simon, I entered your house and you didn't wash my feet. You didn't even give me a place to wash my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. It's an act of extravagant love. Simon, you wouldn't even do the bare minimum and she has gone over above and beyond. She has fallen at my feet and wept. Have you ever cried in worship before? You don't got to raise your hand if you're too manly. I'll, I'll, I have. Okay, there'll be times in worship where I don't know what's going on, where God's just moving in my heart, and I'll stand there singing the best I can with tears in my eyes. When we fall at the feet of Jesus and come to worship him, oftentimes that can be the response. That's what happens here. This woman falls at the feet of Jesus. She begins to weep out of gratitude. And then realizing that Jesus' feet are now caked in gunk and tears, what does she do? Doesn't have a towel to reach for, so she lets down her hair and wipes Jesus' feet clean with her hair. Now, I don't care much about my hair. Um, I've learned that my wife feels very differently about hers. Um, there's every sort of product that shows up to our house multiple times a month, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. What's well, a dry shampoo? That doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it, right? Um, the Apostle Paul even talks about a woman's hair being her glory. Like women, you care a lot about, I'm not saying this is bad, but you care a lot about your hair. A lot, a lot. To let your hair down and scrub someone's feet with your hair, your glory, it's immense, extravagant love. Now my wife loves me a lot. But if I were to ask her, babe, my feet are gross, could you scrub them with those luscious locks of yours? Go take a shower. It's extravagant love. That, I know it's, it sounds weird because culturally, this is not something that we do. But to them, it was an act of extravagant love and worship. Simon, you gave me no kiss from the time that I came in. Nothing. How many of you have like a well-cultured Italian kind of family? I married into a Sicilian family. It's different. It's great. Uh, and there's all sorts of greetings that you have, like Midwestern Dutch boys don't have greetings. We say hi, and that's the greeting. But when you go into an Italian's home, you know, there's the handshake. It's different. I've kissed a bunch of Mary's aunts straight on the mouth because I'm still learning. <laughs> it's too much. Again, this is something, this kiss, that in some cultures, we'd practice this. 
That's some of your family. You get it. You walk in and you give each other a kiss. It's just a greeting. That's what should have happened. Simon, I came into your home and you didn't even greet me with any honor at all. You gave me nothing. But from the moment that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon, you gave me no water for my feet. She's washed them with her her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no greeting. You gave me no kiss. She's been kissing my feet. You did nothing. She has gone over, above, and beyond. Her love for Jesus is extravagant. He goes on, you did not anoint my head with oil. This is another practice. Remember, she came into this dinner party with an alabaster flask of of oil, of ointment. It'd be like a perfume that, that women back in the day would carry around their neck. Much like ladies, you carry perfume in your purse and you might give it a spray here and a spray and and walk through it and make yourself smell nice throughout the day. This is what they would do at dinner. They would anoint people's heads with oil. It was a sign of honor to just, we're gonna get cleaned up before we eat together. We're gonna make this an enjoyable, pleasurable experience. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She's anointed my feet with ointment. Simon, you're welcome to me in your house. You've missed it, and you've missed it, and you've missed it. She gets it. She realizes her sin. She realizes Jesus can forgive sins. So she comes to receive forgiveness and love Jesus extravagantly. Big forgiveness should lead to big love. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. See, earlier, Simon made the accusation. If this Jesus guy really is who Jesus says he was, if he truly were a prophet, he would know her sins. He would know what kind of woman this is. He would know who's falling at his feet. Simon corrects him here and says, Simon, I know her sins. Her sins are many. Everyone knows it. She knows it. And I know it. He says, but her sins are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. And here's the interesting thing. There's no little forgiveness. There's a bunch of big sinners needing big forgiveness from Jesus. You might think you're here this morning and you're a big sinner. You might think you're a little sinner, but here's the reality. None of us can pay. Someone has to pay the bill. Someone has to pay the tab. The debt for our sin must be satisfied. So Jesus took the cross and said, it's finished. It's paid in full. And when we realize there's forgiveness in Jesus, we can't help but fall at his feet and worship him in extravagant love. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this is an important part for us to remember. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace peace. Now Jesus came to this dinner and this woman shows up and loves Jesus much. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. So we could conclude wrongly that it's because of this woman's big love and big worship that Jesus offered her big forgiveness. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, it's your faith. It's your faith that has saved you. It's from placing your faith, your trust, your hope, and who Jesus is that saves us. 
And when we place our faith in him, we're forgiven of our sins. And when we receive big forgiveness, we respond in big love. Big love does not lead to big forgiveness. Big forgiveness leads to big love. We're going to go on. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through all the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. Of course, the 12 were with him. This was common practice. Your group of disciples would follow you. Or if you were a distinguished rabbi, you'd have a group of men following in your footsteps that you were pouring into, that you were training, leading, and equipping to go do the things that you yourself were doing. That was common practice of the day. What would not be expected is for a group of fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, and also groups of women to be following a Jewish rabbi in that day. And the 12 were with him, but get this, and also some women. You know, we worked through the book of Romans uh, last year, the year before, it seems like so long ago already. And our tagline big theme for that study was gospel for all time. Gospel for all time. One of the themes that we've been seeing in the gospel of Luke is that the gospel is for all people. All people. It's for sinners, fishermen, tax collectors, women from all over the world. It's for every type of person. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done is for everyone. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Friends, big forgiveness leads to big love. That's what we see here. This woman, this known sinner, falls at the feet of Jesus because she sees forgiveness can be found through Christ. And when we receive that forgiveness, when we realize that debt has been paid, that Jesus truly has paid it all, we respond in big love. For her, it was responding in worship. She fell at his feet. She wept. She wiped his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet. She anointed his feet with oil. Even the second group of people, this group of people who received forgiveness from Jesus, they're following him, and it says that they provided for them out of their means. They supported the work that Jesus and his disciples were doing all over the world because the gospel message had changed them. So here's my question for us this morning. If you have received big forgiveness, what does big love look like? Let me start with this. Big forgiveness is available to you in Jesus Christ this morning. Right here, right now, in this place, you can be forgiven of the things you've said, the things you've thought, the things you've done because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. That's the good news of the gospel that Jesus took all over the world, that his disciples took all over the world, that his disciples even now are Jesus' witnesses all over the world, both here, near, and far, everywhere. Here's the gospel message we have sin. That's bad news. It's our sin that separates us from God. What is sin? God says, don't do that. And we say, I kind of want to though. I think I'm going to do it. God says, no, don't do that. Instead, do this instead. And we say, I don't really want to do that. We break God's law. We break God's commandments. So we have sin in our life. Sin has a tab. Sin has a bill. Sin has a debt that needs to be paid. But God stepped in and did something. The Bible says that Jesus came to earth to live the perfect life you couldn't live, that I couldn't live, so we could be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
that he took the cross to pay the debt, to pay the tab, to pay the, deal, the bill. He died. The Bible says he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating death, that if we'd place our faith in Jesus, just like this woman placed her faith in Jesus, we'd be forgiven of our sins, and then we could truly live. We can live an abundant life right now, and we can have eternal life with him later. That's the big forgiveness available to us this morning. If you haven't made that decision, my encouragement to you this morning is to do that. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. We place our faith in him. We receive that forgiveness. So here's the question. If you have received that big forgiveness, what does it look like for you to respond with big love, extravagant love? That's the extravagant love we see in the text. It's extravagant worship, falling at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. So one response we might have even this morning as we, uh, just a little while, turn back into musical worship, maybe it's to respond with extravagant worship. Okay, remember, there's something beautiful that Jesus says, leave her alone, she's done something beautiful for me. This woman easily could have entered into this dinner party full of shame, full of guilt, with all the thoughts of, man, what are people going to think about me when I do this? Let's not do that as we respond in worship this morning. Maybe you're a hands-in-the-pocket worshiper, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you feel this morning like God moving in your heart to offer something a bit more extravagant than hands-in-the-pocket, I would encourage you to not think about what your neighbor is thinking of you, but raise your hands and worship. Maybe this is normal. As we respond later, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Would you lift your hands and proclaim that in, in glory of who Christ is and what Christ has done? Maybe it's supporting ministry. That's what happened here. Maybe it's giving to the people in your life who need help financially. I can't answer that question for you. I'd love to go around and ask everyone, what does big love look like because we've received Big forgiveness. My hope and prayer for each of you this morning is that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart and help you understand what that is. That we would not leave this place this morning without asking the question, God, what does big love look like for me? This morning, we're going to respond with big love. We're going to respond um, by taking communion together. If you didn't get a communion cup on the way in, there should be one in a seat back in front of you somewhere. Uh, let me offer this encouragement as well. Um, I'll give you a big church word. This is something we call the sacrament. It's a sacrament of the church. It's something God specifically sets forth for those who've placed their faith in Christ. Um, if that's not you this morning, if you would say, no, I'm not a believer, um, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in Jesus in that way, let me encourage you to not take this with us this morning. Um, I don't want you to feel like you have some um, sense of obligation to do this with us. Again, this is an act of, of worship as we remember what Christ has done, who Christ was, um, what he taught, and everything else uh, on our behalf. So um, if you are a believer, I'd invite you to join me in communion this morning. Um, if you're not, you can be, and I'd really like you to be one. Jesus would as well. Communion gives us an opportunity to do three things. First thing it does is give us an opportunity to look back, to look back at who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. It's the gospel. We look back that Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, that he died the death we deserve to die, that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating death. And if we place our trust in him, we can truly live. That's what we look back to. And in gratitude, in big love, remember the forgiveness that we have in him.
It also gives us an opportunity to look forward, to look forward that someday Christ will return and we will live with him forever with no temptation. It'll be perfect worship, perfect relationship, perfect fellowship with Christ and perfect fellowship with his people. That's the day we look forward to. We look forward to eternity with him forever. It also gives us an opportunity to look in. First Corinthians calls us to examine our hearts to look at ourselves and see, one, are we truly in the faith this morning? Are we truly trusting Christ for our salvation? Or are we trusting in something else? It also allows us to do some introspection. Just ask the question, man, God, if there's some type of unrepented sin in my life, would you help me confess that in front of you? It gives us a chance to do business with God, knowing that he's already paid it all. We come back to him, confess our sins, and walk in newness of life. I'm going to give you this morning like 30 seconds to do that. So I invite you, bow your heads, close your eyes, um, and just, just talk to the Lord this morning. So there's something going on in your life that you need to confess and bring to him. Amen. It is finished. It's paid in full. The debt of sin has been paid. I don't know where you're at in your faith this morning or in your walk or understanding with Jesus, if it's your heart this morning to place your faith, your trust, your hope in him and receive that forgiveness, man, we would love to walk through that with you. Islands, big forgiveness leads to big love. Would we respond in big love for who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf? Would you go love him? Would you love each other? Live on mission. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.